The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a very special dunked on. A Mike Muscala celebration dunked on, in fact. Is that celebration coming from Oklahoma City, Philadelphia, or both? Well, as Derek Bodner put it, that's the biggest shot that Mike Muscala ever hit for the Sixers. Well, it's even funnier than that. Bodner and Sam Vecini, who both work for The Athletic, tweeted it out within, I believe it was 15 seconds of each other with almost exactly the same wording, (laughs) which is amazing because their brains both work that same way. And that ties in with what I thought was the most notable takeaway from today, which was genuinely stunning. I mean, you and I had been looking at all the permutations and combinations, including going through it on the League Pass NBA cast that we did for this wild Heat Thunder game and going through like all these different possibilities and how to game it out. Less than basically two hours later, we now know all of the playoff matchups in both conferences other than who the Lakers will face by the winner of the playing game. And there is a lot of drama there, and we'll talk about that on a future episode. But we know now, we know the contours of this first round, and that is, I didn't expect it to be resolved as quickly and cleanly as it was. But can we talk about the pick production thing first? Of, co- of course, of course. <laughs> you, you, you're asking me if we can talk about the pick protection thing first. I, I, mean, I tried on. to set you up, and you're you're talking about these unimportant things like playoff matchups and I, I mean, winning you, series and championships. Know, Come I, on, I, I, I've had to keep things big picture for broadcast now for like two weeks, and I think that's I think my brain is broken that that's what I have to do permanently now. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so to, to walk people through, this, this, it, this whole situation is basically catnip for the two of us, because not only is it crazy pick protection, which is my jam, but also the insanity that, that this pick has gone through in this route. So to, to walk you through it, basically, the pick originally went from Oklahoma City to Philadelphia back in 2016, and it was this very lightly protected first round pick that was basically it would Philly would only get it if it was if if Oklahoma City had one of the 10 best records in the league and if they didn't then it would become two seconds in 2022 and 2023 and then so that first trade was Ersan Ilyasova and that first round pick going from Oklahoma City to Philly in exchange for Jeremy Grant who then later got traded for a different first round pick but anyway that's a different part of the story and now I'll hand it off to you yeah then the pick gets traded to the Magic Anjas Pashniks was involved, then gets traded back to Philly in the Markel Fultz deal last year. And going into the season, we were like, there's absolutely zero chance that Oklahoma City is going to have to give up this pick. It's top 20 protected. They're not making the playoffs. They're over under is 31 this year which granted we both took the over but we didn't see them finishing with one of the 10 best records in the league 
And so Oklahoma City, they start off pretty poorly. Then they just go crazy in close games. They're winning everything. And now Oklahoma City is going to be the five seed. Even at the five seed, though, they could potentially have kept the pick because so many of these teams are bunched up between them, Miami, Indiana, Philly, all these teams like right in the same area, Utah, Houston. And so with a little bit more losing, Oklahoma City could have been in very good position. Had they lost today, they still would have been in solid position against the five seed and maybe wouldn't have even wanted the five seed. I'd rather play Denver than Houston personally. So one of two things would have happened if they had lost today. Either they would have tied with Utah and there would have been a coin flip, 50-50 chance that they keep the pick. Or with a loss by them and a win by Utah, which isn't going to happen because Utah doesn't want to win. They want to be in the sixth seed to avoid Houston and San Antonio needs to win. But they basically would have had a 50-50 shot at keeping this pick in the draw if they lose. Now they are not going to be keeping this pick. They'll surrender two second rounders later. Instead, you can make the argument that maybe they'll be so bad then that those two second rounders, maybe they'll be worth more, but no, no, pretty not, No, now they me. send the pick and they don't send the seconds. That's Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jesus. I'm going to actually edit that. That was fucking horseshit. Now they send that pick. I mean, and let's keep in mind, first round picks are worth at least $5 million. Like that's what it costs really to buy one, especially that low. You know, it's going to be probably like the 22nd pick or so. We'll see exactly where it lands. And no, I don't buy the argument that they would rather give up the first rounder than give up the two seconds later because those are further away. You don't know what those drafts are going to look like and we don't know where they're going to be. I mean, you, you would have to imagine really only if both of those picks were guaranteed to be in the top five of the second round, would you even begin to think about that? So yeah, this is like a big loss for Oklahoma City and they didn't need to win this. They were, we'll talk about the game more in a second, but they were down 22 in the fourth quarter at one point and i mean it's not like they were playing their guys but those guys were out there playing hard darius basley was awesome and mike muscala hit a couple of threes including the game winner after the heat scored at the other end to take a lead after oklahoma city had tied it it was pretty incredible they went they went for the win with muscala and he hits it and i mean sam presti this is one of those those things where yes you can tank you can not play your best guys but it still is clearly not possible to tell the coach and to tell the players out there like we're going to take now and, and billy donovan he did call timeout right to set up a play after the go-ahead with like what was it eight seconds left or something danny uh he so it's not he like should have chad mark madsen check in yeah <laughs> yeah going back to those wolves tank jobs in the the late 2000s yeah that's uh but I mean, he did call timeout. I mean, I think you kind of lose the respect of your players if you don't do that, perhaps. So it's good to know that at least there are some constraints on intentional losing at the end of the season that you can put as many bad players out there as you want. And those bad players can, I mean, actually some of those guys played pretty well, but th those guys can make up a 20 point deficit in the fourth quarter and you end up losing your draft pick. I mean, it was pretty, pretty incredible occurrence. And I mean, hey, that's what late season NBA basketball is all about, baby. <laughs>
Yeah, and so that also set helped set into motion some of the stability that we're seeing. So that locked in Oklahoma City as the in the four five series. In both, incidentally, the four five, we don't know necessarily who is going to be the four seed and who's going to be the five seed. And in a normal year, that would matter a lot. You know, we would be waiting to do playoff previews. We'd be waiting on all the stuff because that matters. This year, it doesn't appear to be that significant unless they like the maybe the the four seed gets to bang the kneecaps of the five seed. No, unfortunately, we did get see some banging kneecaps in this game but it's i mean so so we have a lot settled now um but let's well, get, well let's, hold on let's, a second but, but before you move on to respond to one of your points there home teams have been better in the yeah. bubble and now kevin pelton looked at that and he said it's mostly been three-point shooting that's driven that so that would certainly indicate that it's been luck more than anything because there's no reason to believe that teams are going to shoot better from three necessarily uh at home versus on the road particularly in this environment and you know maybe you could posit i don't believe this but maybe you could posit that just having like your own music your own crowd just sort of it, it has this psychological effect of like oh we play better at home or the other team plays worse on the road or something like that i find that very unlikely maybe it even affects the referees you might say i mean and who knows maybe we'll see that like home teams win at the same clip that they always have when these playoffs are over and we'll, we can argue about it but i i don't think it really matters who has home court at, and in these four or five series so uh, but I do think that at least is worth acknowledging that that trend has existed, even if we're going to dismiss it. We should note that Philadelphia has won a road game in the bubble, so it's probably not too definitive. But their what road? Their only road win was against the Washington Wizards. So, I, um, but yeah, let's 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 get to this game a little bit. I, I think, or would you rather do the seating stuff first? Yeah, why don't we do the seating stuff first? Since we were just talking about that, um, we know what the matchups are in the West. It's going to be Lakers versus play-in winner. 2-7, it'll be Clippers-Dallas. That'll be an awesome series. 3-6, Denver-Utah. Denver probably gets about the best matchup they possibly could have gotten again. Although, if they win that, they'll have to go up against the Clippers, which will be a little bit more difficult. Houston-OKC, we're going to love seeing that one. Although, Russell Westbrook may miss part of that series, which will be a real bummer if that happens. That's in the 4-5. And then in the East... We can get to that in a second. But so this does set up a situation now, which was going to be the case the whole time of all of four of the teams in contention in the play-in game are playing teams that don't have anything to play for. That, that's correct, right? We can preview tomorrow a little bit. Yes. Uh, now, by virtue of what of what happened today, the Blazers, Grizzlies, Suns, and Spurs are all playing teams with locked-in seating. Yeah, and just to take you through a little bit of the news on that, Kristaps Porzingis with a heel issue, he's not going to play for Dallas. And I would imagine, too, that uh, Doncic is going to take it pretty easy in that one. So that'll make things easier for the Suns. For Brooklyn, actually, they rested some guys, but now Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen are actually going to all play against Portland. Again, you never know. They might just play the first half and then take it easy. Brooklyn is an organization that has always been very proactive about resting guys. But, hey, if you're going in against the... uh, colossus that is the toronto raptors in the first round that you might want to just get these guys some confidence uh, get them feeling good going up uh, against a good team so maybe they'll play who knows although we, we definitely have seen brooklyn not play in similar situations um back in 16 17 was an example of that where they just let chicago get in at the expense of miami and utah is clearly has nothing to play for um 
already announced that Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley aren't going to play in that game. And then Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo was probably going to miss the game anyway, but he got suspended one game for that headbutt. I think we'll see a little bit of Chris Middleton. I'm guessing we probably won't see Brooke Lopez because he played last night. So it's going to be, I mean, the, I'm sure the team, the players that are out there for these teams are going to play hard, but generally the pattern is that these kind of end up being blowouts in favor of the team that's trying, especially with these games all being at a neutral site. It's not like some of these games are on the road either. However, with our history of broadcasting Grizzlies games on League Pass, maybe we can't, we can't be too sure about that. But you're right, it is different when it's the last game of the season. I mean, that is fundamentally structurally different because these teams know exactly what's coming. They And they know, in this case, how soon it's coming. And I, I think that will lead to it. But I, I think we could see some backups, you know, really competitive. I think Memphis might actually be at the most risk because they're just not that good right now. I mean, Ja is awesome. But I mean, outside of that, so maybe they, maybe there's something there. But I don't know. I, I, th- I think we're going to see a we're going to see a pretty chalky thing. And that would lead to Blazers Grizzlies. And and that's also why the events of, I believe that was Tuesday, might have been Monday, are so important is because now Portland, that was Tuesday. That was, oh my God, that was yesterday. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that Portland-Dallas that, game. That basically that Portland will be doing so as the eighth seed would be significantly better for them than, and for those of us who want to have a Sunday off, than if them being doing so as the ninth seed. Well, and also worth noting here that if all four of those teams in the West win, you get Portland 8, Memphis 9 in, yes. in the playing game, and the Suns will have gone 8-0 and still not made it, which is pretty darn remarkable and kind of sad. I'm actually rooting for the Suns because I think they're going to give Portland a, a little bit better of a game. Let's uh, talk about this OKC-Miami game in a second. I, I think just we saw both teams really go hard in the first half, so we can talk about that. And then so some of these young guys we got a chance to look at. Always interesting to do that as well. Take a quick break first, though. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial their 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model 
And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about it all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So let's talk about the first half because these teams actually did go hard and we saw again a lot of that heat switching system. I thought it looked pretty good in a 42 to 29 first quarter. Duncan Robinson was awesome. He had 19 points in the first half in 16 minutes Um, and even Duncan Robinson got into it with Chris Paul which then led to Jimmy Butler committing uh, an intentional offensive foul running over Chris Paul with his forearm. Uh, Chris certainly likes to fall down, but uh, Jimmy Butler really made him fall down on that one after Chris Paul got into it with Duncan Robinson. And then after Duncan Robinson tried to do like the flyby move on him, then they ran the next inbounds play. Chris Paul takes it away from Duncan Robinson in the inbounds and then throws it off at Duncan Robinson out of bounds. It was actually just a pretty badass series by Chris Paul saying like, no, Duncan Robinson, like you're not that good. I know you've been beating up on all these young dudes, but uh, if I actually try and guard you, uh, it's going to be a different story. And then Jimmy Butler came back and just like ran over Chris Paul. I thought Jimmy Butler, I should have looked at that as a flagrant. It was obvious what he tried to do, uh, but they didn't. And yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about Duncan Robinson's first quarter specifically. Oof. He had 16 points in 10 minutes on five shooting possessions because he got he got two four-point plays in the same quarter and it was just, it was just ridiculous the the thunder tried a couple of different things they tried to trail him tried to stay on on robinson and his release is so fast and so high that it, they just really couldn't do anything about it and that was a ridiculous first quarter offensively for miami i believe their offensive rating in the first quarter i mean we're, i was rattling it off during the broadcast i think it ended up being like a 172 or something like that in the first quarter yeah. well i mean they, they had basically i think it was 42 points at 25 possessions yeah and so Robinson was incredible and then in the second quarter I thought OKC clawed back they they did a better job than I expected um with Shea Gilgis Alexander really running things they didn't ha- they still don't have Dennis Schroeder Schroeder is in the bubble now however he is not yet 
ready. He's not yet cleared to play. We don't know the exact timeline. Then Billy Donovan did not share which kind of yeah. basically. Yeah, worked. that was interesting. We haven't heard those reports of oh, he's getting tested every day. He's subject to the four day quarantine. Now maybe Donovan just you know in an abundance of caution didn't want to share that. And OKC is a very buttoned up organization on these sorts of things. So doesn't mean that he won't be able to be back for the playoffs. Uh, and I think he re- he did return on Monday. But if he wasn't getting tested, he could get up to a 10-day quarantine. Yeah. And so the other dynamic in that first quarter was that OKC couldn't hit a shot other than from the free throw line. They missed their first, I think it was six or seven threes, then Shea hit one. But they were getting to the line a ton in both the first and third quarters, which the Thunder actually got outscored in dramatically in both of them. They got into the bonus early and then basically didn't hit any twos and hit a bu- or didn't hit any shots and then got to the free throw line. And then they, they rebounded a little bit in the, in the second. And then the most stunning part of this game, to me, was... At the start of the third quarter, Miami pretty clearly wasn't playing all of their best guys. Bam had been in foul trouble. He didn't play in the second half. Duncan Robinson didn't play in the second half. Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Lou Dort both didn't play after they banged knees with each other. That happened in the first quarter, I believe, might have been the early second. So it was basically the Thunder starters mostly versus the Heat backups mostly, and the Heat backups ran them. Oh, yeah. It was really surprising. And I was kind of wondering what the Thunder were doing because of the incentives that we noted earlier. And yeah, they just got worked. And so they ended up taking those guys out eventually. But it was a 34 to 20 quarter. Tyler Hero had a career game with 30 points. He did slow down in the fourth. I think he got a little tired as he was like the only guy out there who could score a little bit. I thought Goran Dragic looked really good in his second game starting. Kendrick Nunn was not available. Remember, he left the ball for personal reasons. He has completed his quarantine, but he apparently was not feeling well uh, due to some other cold symptoms not related to COVID-19, apparently. And so he was not with the team. He's going to try and get a workout in tomorrow. But especially with the way Hero is playing, I would be extremely surprised if Nunn has much of a role as they start things here. Um Crowder, they took an x-ray, it was negative. I think he at least banged knee. Lou, Lou Dort, though, he's going to have an MRI tomorrow. So that, I couldn't see any sort of like a negative injury mechanism for him other than banging the knee. But, Could be a you know, bone we, bruise, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have the greatest view of it. So, But he is going to get an MRI tomorrow. So there's some possibility that and that he may miss some time here. Uh, for Miami, a little bit more about Heroes Night in 38 minutes for him he really has had the mid-ranger working off the pick and roll we talked about his struggle shooting around 50 percent around the basket in the half court and i think he's really improved his finishing quite a bit with some finishes high off the glass he's also very capable coming off of screens from deep shooting on the move out there as well so he's fit pretty well into that backup ball handler role he's got to play with the somebody else as well but he can play with butler that was one of the things that stuck out to me just overall about this heat team and we talked about it when they acquired iguodala and crowder is just the versatility danny of the lineups that Eric Spolstra can throw out there. Absolutely. I mean, there were some really offensively focused ones involving Duncan Robinson that were really hard for Oklahoma City to counter, but then they also have a lot of, like, they, and there was one where they had Andre Guadalla is basically the only non-shooter, which is something he is exceedingly comfortable with, going back to his time with the Warriors. And then they can go with defensive groups, I mean, Bam and Crowder and Butler and Iguodala, and those groups can't necessarily space the floor too well, but they can do that. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of depth. I think that could be a big challenge for Indy 
Indiana in the first round. And then, so so the game's kind of going through these ebbs and flows. And all of a sudden, this lineup that basically has Darius Baisley as the most frequent ball handler for Oklahoma City just catches fire, including Baisley himself. I mean, he, he ended the game with... 21 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3. Um, incidentally, only made one of his three shots in the restricted area, but also had four assists, nine rebounds. I thought he just looked very comfortable out there, and his shot looked good. He had a couple of finishes, and early on he was getting a little bit muscled by like Jimmy Butler and a few other guys. Iguodala, I think, got him once. But after that, he settled in very quickly, and I thought he looked really good. Yeah, he shot it a little bit better. He's just playing with a lot of confidence, and he is a pretty high skill level. He looked very comfortable grabbing going. He had four assists in this one, including the game-winning assist to Muscala. The other guy who really impressed me for OKC is Abdel Nader. He's yes. shooting the ball really well. There's a time in his Boston career when you'd see him in some of your league, you're like, yeah, this guy's kind of more of an on-ball guy, pick and roll, but is he that great of a shooter? Is he that great of a defender? Like, what does he really do out there? Can he fit in to play off of others, or is he more of a quadruple-A scorer but doesn't have a role in the NBA? He's come back here, and he's shooting the shit out of it. Like, he is really aggressive, shooting it from deep. He was 3 of 6 from 3 in this game. I think his shooting improvement is real, and that is just something that they so desperately could use as well. I might even recommend that they start him instead of Dort. Now, Nader is not the greatest defensively, but I think he's acceptable there. Um, well, Terrence Ferguson? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to bring up Robertson's three looked better too. I wasn't yeah? I wasn't as around during the scrimmage games when people were gushing about that, but his first three in particular looked very smooth and in rhythm, and that's an important takeaway. But yeah, I think Ferguson... Well, only what He had three three-point attempts and only one record scratch. That's a pretty good ratio for him. That, that's a great ratio. And you were going to go to Ferguson. I thought that Ferguson... You know, there were there were a couple times in the early going where I was like, ah, you know, he's being a little bit tentative. But he, I thought he moved the ball pretty well. I thought he defended well overall. Well, he had the he had the stop on Hero one on one at the end. He did a great job getting through a screen, and Hero had nowhere to go. He had to just throw up a desperation three at the end. Yeah, so I th- I thought that the the young players for the Thunder did well. A very concerning game for Myers Leonard who basically who didn't play in the first half yeah I mean concerning for Myers Leonard like personally yes less so for the heat because uh they're not gonna have to play him certainly taking him out of the starting lineup proactively that's something I really think Spo deserves credit for like Hollinger and I were joking like okay does this happen after their first playoff loss but for Spo to just be like nope we're starting Bam at center right now we're gonna put Crowder in the starting lineup like this is how we're gonna play right away because this is how we're gonna play in the playoffs a lot of coaches would be like no this is what we've been doing in the regular season and you know you gotta dance with who brung and no Spolstra was very aggressive about that and Leonard he's not as good as these other guys he's not as good as Kelly Olenek he doesn't deserve to be in the rotation in my mind even though he did give them more than expected this year something I don't think I would have brought up had we not watched this game as closely as we did Solomon Hill took some really aggressive threes in this one and that started with him making a deep one at first ended up two of six and also hit what would have been the go ahead the game winning but ended up being the go ahead layup with I believe it was eight seconds left to to give Miami to go from a a deficit to a lead or was that from a tie to a lead from a tie to a lead and then Muscala ended up hitting the three you know he hit the Muscala score hit threes on their last two possessions and that's how the Thunder won by one last thing on this game Shade Gilgis Alexander I know you mentioned that he had uh, that 18 points in the the first half and he was just blown by guys like oh yeah Dragic Duncan Robinson on a switch like those guys couldn't stay in front of him and we'll talk more about their matchup with Houston and their switching system there aren't any Goran Dragic's or Duncan Robinson's on Houston most likely 
likely, but Gilgis Alexander looked like he is going to be a problem in any kind of an isolation situation. Should we shift to news now? Yeah, I mean, let's. I think the place to start with news is Oklahoma City's now locked in playoff opponent, the Houston Rockets. They got Eric Gordon back. I thought I, I watched a fair portion of that game. I thought physically Gordon looked quite good, and it was a reminder that when he came back from the uh, from the knee issue in the scrimmage games, he was talking about how how much better he felt, and then had this a- ankle sprain. But he looked ready to go, which is great news for the Rockets. But unfortunately, an MRI revealed a strain a strained right quadricep muscle for Russell West. Well, and if it was bad enough that he had to get an MRI on it, that worries me. That makes me think that they're worried there's some really severe damage. Usually if it's just like a little pull or something, it's not a big deal. They're not going to go to that step. So the fact that they felt like they needed to do that definitely worries me a, a little bit. Um, a couple other notes from that game against the Pacers, which the Pacers won. That's a big reason why uh, in the Eastern Conference, uh, everything was pretty much settled uh, at that point. Philly was locked into the sixth seed. They played a, a game against Toronto, which we'll talk about very briefly. Um, James Harden had 45 points, 17 rebounds and nine assists in 35 minutes. And they're plus 11 with him on the floor and they lost by four. Uh, in in uh, So they got outscored by 15 in the 13 minutes that he sat. So he, he has been very good in the bubble and it looks like he's going to be ready to go. And they may need him uh, if Russell Westbrook can't play. And then for the Pacers, TJ Warren sat out with plantar fasciitis. He supposedly has been playing through this for a long time. I think they didn't have that much to play for. They're going to rest him. Justin Holiday at least finally got his shot going with four of eight from three. And Victor Oladipo really given a chance to be the main guy because Brogdon sat out with the neck issue. Continues to look like he's not ready at all. Seven of 26. Two of 12 from three. Only had 16 points. Zero free throw attempts, by the way, for Victor Oladipo, despite shooting it 26 times. And he had five assists and five turnovers. I mean, it's that's really, really bad for him. And I, I continue to think that he just he's got to play a secondary role for this Pacers team to be at their best. And maybe there's a, a point at which he can get back to being a big star. But he is unequivocally 100% not that guy. And he needs to be the third and maybe even the fourth option on this Pacers team right now. Right, and it's a big problem because that it, the the further you move away from that idea of what he should be, it become it, it, the more it inconveniences Indiana's def, the Indiana's team. And remember, they're going to be facing an intelligent defensive team in the first round. Miami's going to be nasty with that. And Oladipo did have I I, I retweeted Jay Michael's video of it. Uh, he did have one dunk where he looked a little bouncier, but it's the possession by possession stuff when you really notice Oladipo's lack of of oomph. And just not being not being the same guy out there. And a big concern also is that with Jeremy Lamb out and everything else, the Pacers just don't really have that many other options. They don't have that many other ways to turn. Fortunately for them, Doug McDermott looked better in this one. He just actually hit some shots. But they're, they're, they can't turn to TJ McConnell or anything else. Like, I agree with you that they should start Justin Holiday when they have TJ Warren available. But that's... I don't think yeah, that's instead all. of Aaron Holiday. Instead of instead of Aaron Holiday, yes, yeah, sw- switch to the the more yeah. swing Manny Holiday as opposed to the point guard. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a challenge for them. Uh, let's what do you you brought? Oh, oh well, here since we're talking Indiana, Nate McMillan yes revealed that he got a contract extension. There had been speculation that it could be it for him. It, Jeff Van Gundy even said that on a broadcast that that was a rumor that was going around. And McMillan said, no, I actually signed this extension in July but there's a little more that meets the eye there because remember there was an option year on the contract for next year the Pacers hadn't picked up now we haven't heard a single word about any of this but 
coaching contracts are not subject to collective bargaining, right? Player contracts, all that stuff got told because of COVID-19. All those coaching contracts actually ended in July. And so supposedly it was the Pacers who approached McMillan, but McMillan could have just said, well, hey, guess what? It's past July. Have you picked up my option yet? No. Well, then I'm not going to coach anymore. You're It's already into July. I don't know if he would have done that, but technically I think he would have been as, within his rights to do that. I'm not sure exactly what the language of these contracts is because it's not you know collectively bargained and standard the way it is for players but uh but anyway so he's getting just a one-year extension and again that's unclear to me too is that like okay they pick up his option for next year and then they put another option on the end of that like it's oh yeah you idiots like of course he deserves it he should have gotten an extension okay a one-year extension no that's not like oh this guy's amazing we want him to be our coach for the future that's more just like well it's COVID-19 and you're not making that much here and we know that you're a solid coach like this isn't some like yes he's been through the tribulations we really want to go to you we want you to be our coach for the next three years it's not that kind of an extension that said I mean Nate McMillan as as much as we have expressed some frustration sometimes with elements of you know that he's let's say insufficiently using Miles Turner and all that he has done a very good job as the coach of the Pacers and I, th- I think that the idea of replacing him in the abstract with Coach X, I think that that would make the Pacers worse off. So I'm, I'm totally fine with them keeping him around. Yeah. Now let's see what happens in the playoffs here, though, because that's where he really has had some failures. I, I thought that series in 2017 against the Cavs, where they got swept, but they lost the series by a total of 16 points. I, I thought he had some real issues. 2018 against the Cavs again I thought that some blunders that he had really hurt them in that seven gamer they couldn't score at all granted without Oladipo last year against Boston but they got swept they couldn't get anything going offensively and that's the concern is that they don't do enough offensively I think that's correct so I think it's still possible to say McMillan has done a good job but it wouldn't be insane to potentially think hey if we can keep this defense going and upgrade offensively maybe that's our path to getting better so I'm very curious to see how he coaches against Eric Spolstra who of course is one of the best and then the other coaching extension news came out of Boston we do not have terms yet but Brad Stevens agreed to a coaching extension with the Celtics not really a huge surprise I mean it would have been surprised to see Stevens not as the coach of the Celtics anytime soon but until we see the terms we can't talk about it too much other than he's a great coach yeah, I mean, they've been blessed with some remarkable stability. They had Doc Rivers there for about a 10-year period before that, and they go right to Stevens. Remember, I think Stevens signed a six-year deal, which was pretty much unprecedented. That's what it was required to lure him away from Butler. He's had an extension since then, obviously, since it's now 2020. So this would be a second extension, presumably, for Stevens. And, I mean, again, he's Boston really exceeded expectations this year. They've developed guys really well. I mean, he is maybe not the best coach in the NBA, but he's in that second tier very firmly and we'll see uh, how he does this year what else we got here for news from the Clippers perspective um, Montrezl Harrell is back he tweeted as much he is in the bubble Uh, he did not play in Wednesday's game I don't think he's been given the all the go-ahead yet but it looks like he could play a little bit on Friday and that is the important one of the important things we talked about kind of the the structural stuff with these teams not needing it but not needing to play to like win games to for their seating purposes but the Clippers in particular they haven't gotten to see all their guys together and that will be you know they're still probably going to miss Patrick Beverly we'll have to keep an eye on that and Landry Shamit but the like getting Harrell into form is important yeah absolutely and you know it's gonna be tough for Harrell he relies on effort he relies on being in great condition outworking the opponent and 
you know, I don't know what type of shape he was able to stay in during this absence. And now he has this four day quarantine basically in his room. And so it's tough for him to stay in condition there as well. Uh, they do hope to have Beverly, who is dealing with a calf issue. Shamit is in a walking boot with his ankle, Mike Breen said on the telecast today. But they, Doc Rose said they have hope to have them back for the playoffs. Orlando quite literally limping into the playoffs they have that dreaded eight seed against the bucks and aaron gordon has still been ruled out and yeah i think you'd say hey they got nothing to play for but i think if gordon were able to go they would want to get him back in the mix and going and get him back in shape so uh they'll still have some time for him he's obviously a critical player for their defensive efforts against Giannis with john isaac out uh, but he's been ruled out for Thursday's meaningless game against the Pelicans. And then Terrence Ross has left the bubble for what was termed a non-COVID personal medical issue where he was advised to seek further testing. We don't know the nature of that, but of course he will have to quarantine for a minimum of four days when he returns. Unclear if in fact uh, he has come back already at this point and they desperately need him as well with his shooting offensively. Joel Embiid did play after that slight ankle tweak today and immediately suffered a hand injury on a rip through against Marcus Sol. Fortunately, x-rays were negative. So I think they just decided uh, not to bring him back at that point. And also, hey, why put him up against Marcus Gasol and like hurt his confidence when Gasol guards him pretty well? Is that it for news? I believe so. Yeah, we got to the Giannis suspension before. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us 
Do you want to preview a couple of these East playoff series? Do you want to make it real quick and preview the one preview the one eight and the two seven? Nah, come on. Let's actually like give people some meat here. I, I don't know if I even want to do those, frankly. We'll we'll get to them a little bit, but uh let's talk Miami, Indiana. I think that we've seen a lot of these teams recently. We've done their games for League Pass. We've really been locked in on these two teams, and we've talked about them some already both last night's game so you can go back and listen to that and we kind of previewed these matchups the preview of the preview which then is going to lead to the playoffs but uh, i think where i would start here is this switching miami defensive system against a pacers team that is kind of not really designed to play this way they also don't really play against it in practice either because indiana themselves very rarely switches and so I think that that is going to cause problems for the Pacers and they're going to very quickly have to find a way to really target Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic and to do it quickly enough that these good heat help defenders can't get into position. Right. I, I think that the Pacers, you you could argue in, especially if at full strength, they might have the personnel to give the Heat some problems, but making making them the kind of team that the Pacers looked like on Tuesday night when they were just, to- or was that Monday, when they were totally stagnant. And I, I, I was just kind of sitting there going, yeah, we, yeah, it was Monday. We talked about it on the pod though, was I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how they could reinvent the wheel well enough to consistently get good shots. Now, yes, there could absolutely be games where Miles Turner sitting threes or TJ Warren, who's been amazing, is 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 going off, and even good defense, even Mikhail Bridges, were he on the Heat, wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to stop him. But that offensive end, I think, is going to be a problem. But then also the Pacers, with their their lack of depth due to injury and just due to not having as deep a roster as the Heat, I think that creates big problems for Nate McMillan too, because when things don't work, whether it's the starting five or some of these bench lineups or a mixed group, when things don't work. I don't, I don't think there are that many other things they can turn to. I mean, we, we saw the limitations of T.J. McConnell in a theoretical series here already. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating. What the player usage for McMillan, it has been simplified somewhat with the injuries, but they're starting this lineup with three guards, T.J. Warren at the four and Miles Turner. Sabonis obviously is out as well, so is Lamb. And you know, I just wonder a little bit about some of those matchups for Indiana, particularly on the second unit. As you mentioned, McConnell and Oladipo, I think that that combination has been poor. Oladipo has struggled enough to run things on the second unit. And then if you got McConnell out there as well, then McConnell has to have the balls. Sorry if we're repeating ourselves a little bit here. We wanted this to be a holistic overview. And Oladipo, if he's going to try and do his drive game off the pick and roll, they're going to switch on him. I don't think Oladipo has the juice to beat that. We just saw him go 7-26 against the Rockets, who switch as well. And it's going to be even harder when you've got TJ McConnell, who doesn't need to be guarded when he doesn't have the ball. And then Oladipo is trying to go one-on-one as well against the second unit. Maybe if I were Nate McMillan, I would try to really have that unit out there when Kelly Olynyk is the center and they can't really do as much switching but when Bam is out there things can be difficult I, I, that's one thing I'll be curious to see too is like how many minutes can Bam play and the other thing too Doug McDermott against those switches I think he can kind of be taken away pretty well and so like that works a lot better when you've got Kelly Olynyk out there rather than Bam Adebayo but I don't think there's any even if you do switch a little bit with Olynyk which they did some in the game today against Oklahoma City they also just put had a Linux double team the ball on, on pick and rolls and handoffs that's another thing that I think the Pacers are going to struggle to beat they're not a great passing team to really ping it around if you put two on the ball and with the way Miami can fly around 
God, I just, Jakar Sampson is another like total non-shooter on that second unit. Whether they go with him or Bitadze, that's another question for McMillan to figure out. But I really worry about that second unit of the Pacers. Something else that worries me a lot from the Pacers' perspective and also makes me think this might be a shorter series not to telegraph by pick yet is... Goran Dragic is looking very good physically, and that gives Miami another dimension. Now Jimmy Butler has to do less. Tyler Hero has also taken on a larger role in terms of playmaking. I thought that he's looked very good over the last few games inside the arc and outside the arc. And yeah, sure, if, if you need Iguodala to do some little ball handling, some of the, some of the opportunistic stuff, and Duncan Robinson, we know we know his role. So like, I, I don't think Miami, they're not going to be this like buzzsaw necessarily offensively. It's not going to be like the first, the first quarter of their game against OKC on Wednesday, but I think they're going to be able to get it enough that it's not a circumstance of like, so let's say, well, I'll put it this way. If this, if there are rock fight games in this, I would expect the Heat to win those rock fights because I think they have more juice offensively than the Pacers do. Yeah, one thing I'll look for here is, as we talk about with the Pacers at the ball, we can wrap up that section. Malcolm Brogdon, I think actually is a decent matchup against switches because his game is just to attack hard right away. And so right at the moment the switch occurs to just go hard to get to the rim, particularly if you know Bam Adebayo is out on the perimeter and they don't really have a ton of spacing. The other thing that we haven't seen at all in the bubble here is that Miami zone yeah. that might be an interesting one particularly again with the second unit starting the second quarter you got Derek Jones at the top of that put a Linux down at the bottom again if you got McConnell out there and Jakar Sampson and you're getting nothing against that zone without enough shooting they don't have great ball handling as well with that group you could see some turnovers uh so I, I mean I really am a believer in this Miami defense if you're going to rank the playoff defenses they'd kind of be probably third or fourth to me behind Toronto and Milwaukee and then I think maybe the Lakers uh but Miami is definitely up there and they've got a lot of versatility as we've hit on the TJ Warren thing you know I think there are better ways to get him going particularly in the matchup that he might desire that's something that that I would look for and I think the way that you can start to be competitive in this series if you're Indiana is that you can play Duncan Robinson off the floor you can make it difficult for Dragic you can force them to go to more defensive groups which they can I mean that, that could be a ridiculous defensive group that Miami can throw out there if you want to put Butler Iguodala and Crowder all out there at the same time with Bam I mean that's just a sick defensive lineup but it's obviously more offensively limited um obviously they got to not foul jimmy butler as we turn now to what it's going to look like when the heat have the ball well, who are you putting on yeah go ahead well, so gonna say. i wanted to go i want where i wanted to start the analysis of when the heat have the ball is the challenge of going small in terms of help defense because bam Adebayo is not going to shoot threes but he can draw miles turner away from the basket because of his role within the heat offense and so if miles turner is let's say at the free throw line and anything happens in the Miami action to get somebody near the basket, who is going to be a deterrent? TJ Warren, not a deterrent. Oladipo, not really. Hmm. I, I think that's a big problem for Indiana is these kind of systemy buckets that they could create now that they're playing so small and don't have anybody else who really has those, who really has any rim protection chops. Yeah, a absolutely. And how are you going to guard that Bam Adebayo handoff game with Duncan Robinson? Like you were saying, if you're going to put Miles Turner 
on Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson comes off one of those handoffs it has typically been Indiana's approach to never switch you stay with your man Duncan Robinson is really tough to stay with in those situations Oladipo had the matchup on him in that game the other night they didn't do a very good job maybe that's why you start Justin Holiday is you just assign him to only guarding Duncan Robinson and that's just your job Justin Holiday is pretty good at getting over screens they'll probably have to throw multiple bodies at Duncan Robinson frankly and you know I think TJ Warren can do fine on Jimmy Butler they got to avoid fouling him the offensive glass Miami's not a huge offensive rebounding team but this Pacers team is an atrocious defensive rebounding team and they gave up against Philly in that first game which they won they gave up 47 percent offensive rebounds so uh, the more I think about this uh, Danny I, I do think that Indiana could have some trouble Miles Turner has to have a huge series for well, them uh, and, on both ends and you haven't mentioned the other big one for me which is even though Nate McMillan is a good regular season coach and just got a deserved a deserved extension Spo is a pretty significant advantage there I think that he has the creativity and also the depth to really try things, to, to, to create challenges that Indiana can't really counter. And coaching isn't always definitive in a series. It's not something I pick. But when you have all these other advantages, like when the better coach has more cards to play, I think it matters more. Yeah, and they have more passing. They have more variety to their offense. This is a play also that I think could really put Indiana in, into difficulty. And we saw some of this in that game where Miami beat Boston, who's playing extremely well, by the way, without Jimmy Butler. And that is Bam Adebayo handling the ball. Presumably he's going to be guarded by Turner. There's nobody else in the Indiana starting lineup with the size to guard him. Would they try to get some switches with him actually handling the ball and small, small pick and roll? Miles Turner going to get through an on-ball screen? Probably not. You know, now you can kind of go under on that a little bit, but Bam can still work in a position. If he gets a small on him, he can just and then whoever Turner is guarding is going to be a shooter I think Bam can just overwhelm these guys physically with the ball just working the position the way he did when he got 18 free throw attempts against Boston I don't expect to see that wrinkle at the start of the series but it might be something that they could break out against this team that really just doesn't have any size outside of Miles Turner and even off the bench as well so that Turner's foul trouble is gonna be he's gonna be such a critical player because they have really struggled without him Right, and I I think you can make that argument about a lot of the different players in Indiana's primary rotation there just aren't suitable replacements and I could end up see I could see it's tough for me as a as a Bruin I could see Aaron Holiday being a scapegoat in this series he's just I think he's a a really ill-suited for what Miami does well I don't think he does he could do a particularly good job defensively and then his limitations offensively are going to be a big problem I mean he's not I don't I don't love him finishing against this group and I don't think he's going to create a ton of separation and especially if Holiday is mistakenly in the starting lineup early on and Miami Aaron Holiday sorry Aaron holiday this is going to be a challenge um yeah with aaron holiday so i I think that is uh, he aaron holiday could end up being that you know being problematic being a scapegoat early on and and justin holiday is the one who should be starting yeah and i also like aaron holiday's fit a little bit better on the second unit rather than mcconnell any other factors you really wanted to hit on here before we get our predictions no i i think that's about it i will say that i don't want to overreact to a single game and it's so funny because we're recording this on wednesday and they will play again before the bubble but that game doesn't mean a whole lot it's congratulations whoever cares slightly more is going to get the four seed but well does that mean anything in terms of the draft pick 
Presumably it would, yeah. I mean, let me let me take a look at that. So yes, they are tied right now. Although Indiana's pick actually goes to Milwaukee, they are tied right now at forty-four and twenty-eight. So Miami has a lot of incentive to lose that one. They are probably going to be locked in at twenty-one because Utah is forty-three and twenty-eight, and they will inevitably lose. Well, now they can win if they want to. Yeah, and then you've got Denver involved as well. They are forty-four and twenty-seven. So is OKC. So yeah, I mean Miami really would be very foolish to win that game against Indiana and Indiana doesn't care in fact Indiana Houston OKC and Denver the next four actually sorry the next five picks below Miami are all teams that have traded their pick and have no incentive there now uh, Oklahoma City is guaranteed to give up their pick now so clearly I mean Miami they are not averse to these sort of machinations they really need to lose that game <laughs> like that could be like a, a matter of like four or five spots with no like they, yeah they could they could they could fall to 25 if they lose or i'm sorry if they win and it's and it's so wild that it in this specific year like normally being the four versus the five if let's say miami indiana was the last game of the year with this exact setting but it was a normal season that game would be so huge but instead it's this and the other concerns there philly owes their pick to brooklyn dallas is 40 this is so much harder when all these teams have played different number of games so bear with me here dallas is 43 and 31 philly is 42 and 30 so a dallas win and a philly loss i think would get philly to 18 which then would go to brooklyn and dallas to 19 so dallas has some incentive more incentive to lose tomorrow against the suns You've also got Toronto and the Lakers. Toronto is 52 and 19. Lakers are 52 and 18. And that's the 28th and 29th picks. So definitely some incentive to lose there for both of those teams draft wise and then boston is tied with the clippers which is going to go to new york from the marcus morris trade at 26 and boston it's already been announced that they're like not going to play anyone tomorrow so and the clippers don't care so that's one where boston might be able to lose a game the clippers might just win it especially because they have pretty good depth they're going to play here they'll probably play some of their guys so they're still trying for that continuity in their last game Anything else we got to talk about before we go? Uh, you People can listen to the podcast that I did with Ben Golliver. We talked about life inside the bubble. Oh, did we make predictions? We didn't make predictions. Oh, yeah, we didn't. Um, for for yeah. Indiana and Miami. Yeah. What the hell are we doing? We're so rusty here. Well, I guess it's been uh, basically a year and a half since we've done playoff previews now, right? Yeah. Uh, so my prediction is, so in a normal circumstance, I would not do this, but I think this is going to be one of my larger theories of the Orlando bubble is I think that when a series, when a team gets to three wins and the other team has one or fewer, I think it's going to end relatively quickly. It's been a long time when you kind of, kind of hope is lost and all that. So I'm going to predict heat and five. Yeah, I'm teetering on the edge of five and six. Oof. I mean, really, it seems like the only way that I think Indiana is going to score well enough is like TJ Warren just has to go crazy. And I thought, you know, he's got the plantar fasciitis. I did. I thought there's a, maybe a little overhyped how well Miami stopped him the other day, but I don't think he's going to go for 30 a game either. And I'm really not pleased with where Oladipo is. I think Miami's going to have the big advantage on the second unit. Yeah, I think I'm going to go five as well. And certainly if I had to pick a direction from there, I think it'd be more likely to be six than four. I mean, also Indiana's without their all-star, Demontis Sabonis, what, what chance do they have? I'm I'm very sad that you didn't pick six because the existential dread that you would have had when if Miami just like blows them out in game one would have been kind of, would have been a little bit delicious for me. But yeah, I, I think that's the right call. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways I've thought about this, I've said this before, but if you didn't hear that pod, my thought is, 
yes, in a game seven, the quote unquote road team would have more of an advantage than usual with no home court. But I think the better team, I expect the better teams to take care of business more easily now because I mean, think about it this way, right? Let's say the better team is like eight points better per game than the worst team, right? And so the better team, and then you throw a home court advantage in on that. And the better team is pretty much always going to win at home. But then at least uh, on the road, you get to a chance, a place where, you know, let's say even in like, you know, a two seven series or something like say Dallas and the Clippers, you might say, okay, Clippers probably have like an 80% chance of winning a home game. And, but Dallas had, even though the worst team has like a 50% chance of winning at home. And so it's actually possible to get like a two, two series that way, just because of the home court, but without it, then you might say, you know, the Clippers have a 70% chance of winning every game. And I think that is going to, without having games three and four at home, and particularly without having that rallying cry, like 2-0 now is going to be a death sentence, basically, is my thought. Where And a death sentence in that the series will be over quickly, as opposed to 2-0 is still almost always a death sentence for winning the series, but it's not necessarily a death sentence for getting back to 2-2 and taking it to 6 so that's my thought is that if the home team, the, the better team wins those first two games, you said it when it gets to three. I think when it gets to two zero, it's going to be really an uphill battle for uh, the inferior team. Uh, so I, I will I will go back to what I was promoting before. <laughs> Did that uh, podcast with Ben Golliver talking about life inside the bubble, both for him as a media member, the players and the referees. We talked about his pickleball piece. Also, my offseason previews for the eliminated teams are starting to roll out at the Athletic. The Washington Wizards and Sacramento Kings are out now, and the rest should be coming relatively soon. So you can keep an eye on that. And we have more League Pass NBA cast to go Thursday and Friday. Yeah, we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Uh, Memphis is a huge game against Milwaukee. If they win it, they're in the play-in. Talk to you all tomorrow. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.